This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment and there's also a glossing detangler, which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair's too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. Welcome to the Thursday episode. This is a solo episode and I am talking about martyr tendencies. I just did a story on Instagram and as I said martyr, it sounded like murder and so the captions on my stories put murder. So if you're tuning in to listen to me talk about murder tendencies, That's not what I'm talking about today. That's a different podcast episode. Not of mine, but I'm sure there's plenty out there. Lots of podcasts that talk about murder anyways, maybe not murder tendencies. But anywho, some people wrote in or left comments on the post that I did on Instagram about my situation where I realized that I was having a martyr moment. Oh, that's a good term, martyr moment. Some people were like, is it really being a martyr though, isn't it, you know, something else. And if you look at the history of what the word martyr means, it's kind of changed over time. So when, because initially I just did a quick Google search of martyr and I was like, oh, that's not what I'm trying to describe. But then when you look at the more recent ways in which the term is used, especially when it comes to being a mom, then it applies. So the history of it, it's a Greek word and martyr was meant to describe someone who suffers persecution and death for advocating, renouncing, refusing to renounce, or refusing to advocate a religious belief or cause as demanded by an external party. So their sole purpose is to, let's say, advocate for whatever religious beliefs and they don't care if they get killed in the process. That's kind of where the term comes from. I just got that off of Wikipedia. And now if you look at some articles online, if you do a quick Google search of martyr in moms, like lots of really good articles come up from the New York Times, Today's Parent, and it's actually really interesting to read about. And a lot of what they talk about is not necessarily something that I experience, but I can see how it would be very common among mothers. What I experience is more of a wanting to refuse going to do something for myself that I know I want to do just so that I can put more fuel into my anger for whatever reason. And it was making me think about the episode I did with Jen Reddish about rage in motherhood. And she was saying, you know, when we feel angry inside, it gives us a sense of power. And a lot of times we're upset because 
you know, the underlying issue is that we feel powerless. And that is such a great way to think about it. And I think it describes a lot of the situations that I find myself in where I am having this martyr mentality of like, oh, never mind. Like, I'm not going to go do what I wanted to do. Like, never mind. I'll just stay here and keep doing this and keep fueling my anger instead of going to do what I want to do. And then everything would be better. So this article on healthline.com, I will put a link to these articles that I talk about in the episode notes if you're curious, but they describe being a martyr as someone who is always suffering in one way or another and someone who kind of exaggerates the bad things that happen to them or, you know, the shitty situations that they find themselves in to try and make others feel guilty. So that's another way to look at it. I don't really... I don't see myself in like doing that, but that can be a mindset, of course, that many people have. That particular article was talking about a martyr complex, which is, you know, sounds to me like it's more so uh, not a permanent, but like like a very dominant characteristic of their personality or how they live their lives. Whereas for me, I just find myself... Uh, having these martyr moments every now and then. So it's not necessarily something that is happening regularly, but I also think your situation and, you know, there's a ton of other variables that would play into how often you have these moments. If it's something that you find is situational and not like a dominant characteristic of your personality. So I will read off a few of the uh, characteristics that someone with a martyr complex would experience. So you do things for people even though you don't feel appreciated. You often try to do too much. The people you spend time with make you feel bad about yourself. You consistently feel dissatisfied in your job or relationships. You have a pattern of taking care of others in relationships. You feel like nothing you do is right. Um, So those are kind of the basics of what a martyr complex would look like and how you would feel. But of course, in this article, this is the Healthline article again, they go into detail for each of those points. uh, And then they have some advice and, you know, explain why these habits or characteristics are harmful. When I think about martyr tendencies, specifically with regard to being a mom, I feel as though over the last few years, it was something that women almost took pride in. Like, oh, look how much I sacrifice myself and don't do anything for myself because I'm doing everything for my kids or for my partner or whatever it might be. And I swear to God, moms get into these conversations where it's like, who has it the worst? Like, who's the most tired? Who has the shittiest situation? And even for me, being on social media and sharing things that I go through on social media, anytime I'm having a difficult time with something, even if it's something that I'm struggling with that I make a joke about and put it in a TikTok, people are always like, oh yeah, but you you don't even do this or you only have one kid or you... And it's like, okay, that's that's fine. Like, It's not a competition to see who has it the worst and everybody's struggles are valid and having kids is hard. It doesn't matter what your situation is. 
Everybody's allowed to share their experience, share their struggles, and be honest about these things, which is, oh my God, this is like a whole other topic, but that is one of the biggest issues in motherhood is that people don't share these things. So we all think everybody else is doing amazing and that there must be something wrong with us because we're not enjoying every single moment and we find little mundane things to be difficult and frustrating. So this is why I like to share all these things. And every time I do share struggles or little, you know, things here and there that are hard or difficult, then people are always like, oh my God, I thought I was the only one. And it's like, no, we all feel this way. So anyways, it's not a competition to see who ha- who has it the worst, who sacrifices themselves the most. And I hope it's changing to be like, we should be striving for the opposite. We should be like, wow, look at all the things I'm doing for myself. Like I have this passion or this hobby. So I take time for myself to go do this. I make an effort to keep in touch with my girlfriends and I try and meet up with them like at least once a month. Like we should be striving for those things and not like trying to prove that we do nothing for ourselves, but everything for everybody else. A good example of this is I am not spending my fucking time folding Milo's little tiny t-shirts and underwear and shorts and pants. Screw that. Like, I just toss them in a drawer. That's a perfect example. And if home aesthetics and decor and all, like, closet organization, if that's your thing, that's great. Um, Like, I know everybody has their thing. I have weird things, too. Not that that's weird, but you know what I mean. But if you're someone who, you know, really wants to get into blogging or really wants to read, you know, some book that a book club that you want to be a part of is reading and you're taking time out of your evenings to fold clothes and make closets look pretty and then being resentful that you're doing that and not doing stuff for yourself, that is like a martyr moment. Because nobody cares that your child's clothes are folded perfectly and put away in their closet. And if anybody does, they have issues and not you. So go read your damn book. Go write a blog. Start a blog. Do what you want to do. Forget about all that stuff that does not matter that makes you feel like you're meeting some expectation because you saw it on Pinterest. I guarantee you that 95% of us are not folding our kids' clothes. We are just tossing it in a bin or in a drawer, 100%. I'm going to make a TikTok about this and guaranteed the comments are going to roll in saying, oh my God, me too. I was listening to an episode of The Skinny Confidential and they were talking to Tim Grover And what he said, and this stuck with me so much, he was saying a lot of people live their life and they're searching for more balance, you know, so balancing work life, family life, self time, like self-care time, doing hobbies, all that stuff. And he said a lot of the times people try and add things to their daily routines to try and feel like they're being more balanced, which I can totally relate to that because for me, I'm like, I want to do work stuff. I want to work out. I want to read books. I want to create content. I want to write. I want to go for walks. I want to make healthy dinners. Like there's so, I want to take all my supplements that I should be taking so many things 
And every morning I'm flooded with all of these things that I want to do. And I, I don't end up doing almost any of them, maybe one or two things that I have to do that day. And I'm like frazzled because there's so many things that I want to do. And it gets frustrating and it plays a toll on you because you feel like you want to do all these things, but you're not getting things done. So he said, when people are trying to balance their lives, they tend to add things to their list of things to do. But what everyone should be doing is removing things. And that is like it, like a frying pan might as well have just smoked me in the head because I was like, oh my God, this is so true. Like, this is what I do. I keep adding things, adding things, adding things. And then you just get more overwhelmed and you're doing more things shitty. So I need to really think about what it is that I want to get done. What are my priorities? And then just pick those things and focus on those things and then use your time more wisely. So that was kind of like a little pivot in a different direction, but I had to get that out because ugh, I just thought it was such a good point. So in a New York Times article, which I will post in the episode notes, it's called Mothers Don't Have to Be Martyrs. They talked to a sociologist who was saying that right now, especially, there is this cognitive dissonance that all moms, or not all moms, but most moms are feeling because on the one hand, we are feeling all this pressure to do so much for our family and for our kids. If you haven't already, go and listen to episode numero uno, number one of the Mom Room podcast, because I talk about that specifically and what contributes to that feeling, which is I call it mom poster syndrome. It's that feeling like no matter how much you're doing, you just feel like you're not doing enough or you could be doing it better. And things that contribute to that are social media, comparing ourselves to other people's highlight reels, um, unsolicited advice, uh, that one research study that comes out and, you know, for example, oh my God, screens are terrible, but, you know, we don't actually look into the research and consult experts. We just see one newspaper clipping and that newspaper clipping gets posted all over social media and then that makes us feel like shit. And then there's the hashtag blessed moms, which, you know, I don't blame them. I think some people are just not as comfortable sharing their struggles for good reason, because mom culture is not set up in a way where you can say, oh my God, I did this and, you know, I feel terrible or I'm really struggling with this because people feel like they're going to be judged. And I understand when people just want to share the good things and not act like anything is wrong, but it harms everybody in the end because we all assume that nobody's having the struggles that we're having so there must be something wrong with us and hashtag blessed moms like that can be on social media people that you don't even know and that can also be people in your close circle who are just not comfortable talking about how they're struggling with breastfeeding or you know they're thinking about switching to formula or They're having to co-sleep with their baby because they won't sleep uh, in their crib and they're not getting any sleep and they're exhausted and it's causing fights between them, them and their husband. Like you don't know. 
unless they're sharing with you and a lot of people choose not to share and just talk about how hashtag blessed they are. So these are all things that can contribute to that feeling. So she was saying we have this pressure to be amazing and do all these things and at the same time we also today have the pressure to pursue our dreams and excel personally is what she calls it. And it kind of goes back to that having a balanced life thing. So we're trying to do so much in the family home and with our children and the housework and the cooking and all this stuff. We want to excel at those things and have our house look like we live in a Pinterest spread. But at the same time, we're trying to excel in our jobs and, you know, start a small business or pick up a hobby, be physically active. And so what she was saying is that a lot of her clients have those pressures and at the end of the day, they just feel like they're shitty at everything. So in the article, she says that they are feeling like they're not doing anything quite right. And at the same time, they're resentful that this is their burden to bear. But the martyr part would come in with not acknowledging that that's how you feel and that's what's happening. And instead of asking for help or trying to make changes, you just kind of continue down this path and keep building anger and resentment inside. At least that's my opinion. She talks about a 2016 study of 255 parents of toddlers from Southern California, and she found that mothers had significantly higher levels of work family guilt and work interfering with family guilt compared to fathers. And I can totally see that. Holy crap. Especially after this past weekend, my husband was on call and he had to go into work so many times. And I don't think it even phases him, or at least he doesn't express that at all. To him, I'm pretty sure it's just like, well, I have to go into work. Like, this is my job and that's it. Like, end of story. Whereas for me, I would die inside if I was constantly having to leave on the weekend, especially knowing that Milo's in daycare during the week. Like that would kill me and I would start to resent my job for taking away that time with Milo. I don't know. It's such a weird thing, but I'm not sure that many fathers have that conflicting feeling when it comes to trying to excel at work and trying to excel as a father? I'm not sure. This is a good question to have for, you know, future fathers that come on the podcast. This episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. You guys know I have been very intentional with what we've been eating lately. I'm looking at protein, I'm looking at sugar content, and avoiding things like artificial ingredients or colorings. Milo used to always want pancakes or waffles in the mornings, and now he is getting into cereal, and I'm so excited because Magic Spoon is the perfect option. Their variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. They have zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four to five grams of carbs per serving. They're made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and I'm just so happy that he's getting a good amount of protein before he goes off to school. And it's a great snack for me and my husband too, because 13 to 14 grams of protein in the cereal, now you add a high protein milk, you're set. That is such a high protein snack or meal. 
I should also mention that it is gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So go to magicspoon.com slash momroom to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code momroom at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. So try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash momroom and use the code momroom to save $5. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. It is 2024. As busy parents, it's hard to completely overhaul our lives, but what we can do is make small changes that will make our lives easier. And that is where Little Spoon comes in. Their goal is to make keeping your kid healthy feel like the easiest part of your day so that you can cut through all the drama of mealtime. Little Spoon offers baby blends, biteables, and plates. So baby blends is fresh, organic baby food. They have single ingredients, but also multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. Biteables make the transition to finger foods easy because they are cut perfectly to size, which promotes self-feeding. And of course, all the Biteables are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. And then there are plates for your toddlers and your bigger kids. They are meals that are free of all the bad stuff. They taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. They have things like hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous things like pot stickers, gnocchi, and more. Little Spoon also has smoothies and build-it-yourself lunches. Did I mention it all comes right to your door? It is super flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. You can pick up the menu and change up what you order every single time. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You and your kids will love it. It's a huge win-win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. Okay, so I wanted to get into a little bit about the situation that made me interested in this topic. So I explained it in an Instagram post the other day, really popular post. People are really relating to that situation and say that they do the same thing and feel the same thing all the time. So basically, and it's such a small, small thing. Like this is not some major life event. This was just some mundane thing that can happen regularly on any given day, but it really affects how you feel. So I was downstairs and we had finished dinner and my plan was to go and shower before we started doing Milo's bath and bedtime routine. So, you know, my husband and I communicated that that is what I was going to go do. I was going to go have a shower, put my pajamas on, wash my face, all that good stuff. And then um, eventually my husband would come up with Milo and we would do bath and bedtime. So I started to go upstairs and Milo wanted to follow me upstairs. And whenever he does that, I feel bad to say that he can't come with me. So I was like to my husband, why don't you just come up at the same time and, you know, watch him and I'll just have my shower like he wants to come up. 
So we all go upstairs and Milo followed me into our bathroom and I just started washing my face with him there uh, because he wasn't doing anything. He was just standing with me. But then he wanted to leave the bathroom and he ran out of the room. So my husband, I didn't know where my husband was at this time. So I followed Milo and he ran down the hallway into his room and then into his bathroom And I noticed as I was following Milo that my husband was in our closet organizing or like dinking around with all his clothes. I don't know what he was doing. So I was annoyed at this point because I'm like, I was in the middle of washing my face and Milo ran out of the room and we don't have a gate at the top of the stairs upstairs. So I had to follow him to make sure he wasn't going to hurt himself. And my husband is now preoccupied doing something else where I was expecting to go upstairs and have a shower and put my pajamas on and not have to watch Milo. So I was annoyed. And expectations are a huge part of why you would feel annoyed in a situation that does not seem like a big deal. Like, On the surface, even just telling this story, it's like, okay, big deal. But when you have this expectation in your mind about how something is going to go and then it doesn't happen, you're more likely to have more of a negative reaction to that expectation not coming true. So that's where I was at. So my husband is in the closet. He's not like acknowledging that we left the bathroom. Like he's just doing his thing. So I'm like, fine, like, fuck it. I'm going to go take Milo to his bath and I'll just start his bath. Like, I guess I'm not showering or doing what I wanted to do. Like, pissed. Now, when I think back about it, what I should have done is brought Milo to the closet with my husband and said, here, I'm going to go have my shower. Like, can you watch Milo? Did I think to do that? No. I was like, I am going to be a martyr in this moment in time and I am going to just start Milo's bath and kind of make a point that my husband's not doing it. I'm going to do it. So, and it's crazy. I know this sounds so crazy. So I go in the bathroom, start, you know, filling up the bathtub, getting Milo in the bath, like start washing him and My husband's still in the closet, dinking around. And in my mind, I knew that my husband was going to come back into Milo's bathroom and tell me to go shower because he's just like that. Like he knew that I was going to go shower before Milo went to bed. So I knew that he was going to come in at some point and tell me like, okay, like, why don't you go have your shower? Which is fine. Um, Like, that's great that he does that. But in my mind, I was already playing out that scenario. And I was like, when he comes in here and says that I can go shower, I'm just going to be like, never mind. I'll just shower after he goes to bed. You know, again, that is a martyr thing to do Um, because I'm mad now. And it's almost like I want to continue to and I'm going to use the word suffer, but obviously it's not suffering. But I want to continue, like, I want to make this worse for myself so I can be even more mad at my husband not, you know, reading my mind and knowing what's going on. So as I'm giving Milo his bath, I'm thinking all these thoughts. I'm just getting more and more mad. And then I caught myself, thank God, because like the whole night would have been ruined because I would have been in such a bad mood. 
But I was like, oh my God, what is the big deal? Like he probably has no idea. He just walked in the closet, saw his clothes on the floor and started putting them away. You didn't say anything in the first place when Milo followed you into the bathroom and then left. You could have easily said like, "Uh, I'm going to have my shower. You have to keep an eye on Milo now. Like I didn't say anything. So like that's on me. My husband can't read my mind. Um, And I am the one that said like, oh, it's fine if he comes up with me, like just come up with him. So I was reflecting on all my thought processes or processes, however you say it, in the last little while and what actually happened in the situation. And I was like, oh my God, Renee, like even though you want so badly to say like, never mind, like I'll just shower after he goes to bed, like That is what I wanted to do really badly, but I was like, when he comes in here and says that, just get up, smile, and say, okay, and like, just go have your shower because you want to go have your shower, so go have your fucking shower. So anyways, I, you know, made myself react that way, and literally, I shit you not, as he came in and said, okay, like, you want to go have your shower now? I got up and I was like, okay, and, you know, smiled and just left. Instantly, everything just went away. And I was like, yay, okay, like I get to go have my shower by myself. And like everything ended up working out. But if I would have taken the martyr path, like I would have been pissed all night, which is like, and it would have been my fault. And I know some people... I talked about this on my stories, I think the day after it actually happened. And people were like, yeah, but you had a right to be mad. Like you you said you wanted to shower. And then he went in his closet and started doing that. And it's like, yes, I had a right to be upset in that situation. But what I do with that, you know, feeling of being upset is what kind of sets the tone for the rest of the evening. So yes, I had a right to go in the closet to my husband and be like, not in a sassy way, but just be like, oh, okay, I'm going to go have my shower. Can you watch Milo? And he would have been like, yeah, sure. So yes, I'm not saying that I shouldn't have been annoyed at the situation. I'm just saying there's two ways that you can handle it. And one, depending upon your partner's reaction And also depending upon how you bring up the situation to them, like you also can't be attacking in a way that they're going to get defensive. Like it has to just be, you know, straightforward, tell it like it is. That's what determines what's going to happen for the rest of the evening or the rest of the day, like depending on when this situation is happening. So judging on the feedback on the post uh, that I put up last night on Instagram, it seems that this is a very common thing that we are doing as moms. And I am really happy that I noticed it in that situation, obviously. And I think I will continue to notice it in future situations. And I think that's kind of the first step is being aware of when you get yourself into these martyr moments and trying to break it. It's really hard (laughs) to break it in the moment. But even just reflecting back and being like, oh, that's what was happening in that situation so that the next time it happens, maybe it's easier to break it in the moment. Um, 
Yeah, that's the first step. And, you know, a lot of people said in their comments, like, I didn't even realize I was doing this until I read this post and this situation. And I do this all the time. And yeah, so hopefully we can stop doing that. And I just want to end this episode with a little quote from the end of this Huffington Post article, which again, I will post this in the episode notes. And it says, as a society, we are not doing children any favors by struggling to ensure that every experience they have is perfect. There is no prize for the mom who sacrifices the most. Rather, we serve our children by striving to be the fullest expression of our true self and showing that they can grow up to live balanced lives in which their families contribute to their happiness. And that is the ultimate paradox of the martyr mom syndrome. Ultimately, you serve your family better by rejecting it. I could not agree more with that quote. So that is it for the martyr portion of this episode. I'm going to get into some questions that people asked when I put up the Ask Renee sticker on my Instagram stories. Um, Yeah, this is basically just a little segment that I'm going to do every now and then where I have people write in questions and I'm going to give you my thoughts, my advice. Um, So yeah, we'll get into that. And hopefully in the future you recognize your martyr moments and you think back to this episode and you're like, wait a minute, I can either take option A or option B. And I hope that you take the option that doesn't continue to fuel your resentment and your anger because it's just so much more enjoyable to not live the martyr life. All right, let's get into the first question. So the question is, how do you stay calm when your toddler gets angry? And to be honest, when Milo, you know, once he got into around two years old, just over two years old, the tantrums got real. Like real, it's shocking how aggressive they can get and how angry they get because they can't control their emotions. It's just, you know, like they just explode. Now, sometimes I don't stay calm and I will quickly lose my temper, but then I can try and like rein it in because what I have noticed and what I know just from, you know, speaking to lots of child behavior people and listening and reading and information from professionals is that if you escalate, escalate, then they will escalate. So when he is throwing a tantrum, I know that if I start to also throw a tantrum or try and like make it a power struggle where I'm in charge, it's just going to make him escalate and be even more upset and it's going to last even longer. So because mentally I know that, it's a lot easier for me to stay calm. And I know that when I am really calm, that he gets calmer a lot faster. And it's really true what they say about the co-regulation. Like they don't know how to regulate their emotions. So they need someone close by to mirror how, like what being calm looks like. And so that's why some nights when Milo's in his room and he is really upset because he doesn't want to go to bed. I'll leave him for a couple minutes, but I know when it's like a whiny cry where he's just annoyed that he does like he doesn't want us to leave and he's just annoyed and I, I'll leave him when he, it's that kind of cry. But when he is in a full-blown 
meltdown or a tantrum in his room, I always go back in and help him regulate to get back to his normal level of calmness. And then usually it's fine. Like he might be annoyed when I leave again, but he's out of that, you know, big emotional emotional outburst. So that is really why I stay calm and how I stay calm is that I have seen both ways play out and I know that if I stay calm, it's going to be over a lot quicker and also my mood is less affected because when I end up losing my temper, then I'm upset for a long time because I'm upset because my mood went there, but I'm also upset because now I'm pissed that I got that angry and let my emotions get the best of me and feel like I couldn't control myself in the situation, but I'm also human and I know that that's going to happen. So I try to give myself, you know, some grace to have those moments every once in a while because sometimes you are just so, like your patience is just so gone that it's just, you can't tolerate things anymore. Um, But yeah, for the most part, I do remain super calm and I don't let him get me to the point where you know, now I'm basically throwing an adult tantrum. And the power struggle thing is big too, because that is, they want power so much. And that's why it's so important to always give them the option of, you know, choosing what socks they want to wear, choosing what shoes they want to wear, trying to give them as much power as you can throughout the day so that when, you know, it comes time to put their tablet away or go inside from being outside, it's less of a issue for them because they feel like they're powerful and in charge of their life because you've been giving them options and letting them choose things throughout the day. So I really try and be mindful of that as well. And I know that when it is a power struggle, me trying to get power over him is going to make it worse. Like, for example, this morning at daycare drop-off, for some reason, he was not happy and he wasn't whining or throwing a tantrum or anything, but he just, he was trying to run away from the daycare door, which is not like him at all. Like he loves going. So he was just in a mood and I had to pick him up and physically bring him to the door. Now, if we had a choice in that situation, I probably wouldn't have done that because I feel like it makes it worse because now he doesn't feel in control. Um, But like, you know, you only have so much time to stand in a parking lot when cars are going by. Sometimes it's not an option. But when I do have time, I will stand outside and be like, listen, daddy's coming home soon. Let's go inside and get dinner ready. Or, you know, we have to go put on a show because we're going to wait for daddy to come home. Like I use every tool in my freaking toolbox to try and make it a situation where he feels like he's deciding to go inside and I'm not just forcing it. Okay, that was a really long answer and I feel like I could talk about this forever, but I will get to one more question before we end this episode. All right, somebody asks, do you ever feel resentful towards your spouse? If you haven't already, go and listen to episode 67 with Dr. Tracy Dalgleish. It is unbelievable and the entire episode is about resentment. So for me personally, I don't think I have a lot of resentment. I think 
I'm pretty open and I'm self-aware and I'm not afraid to communicate things to my husband. So we do end up talking and by we, I mean I talk a lot about how I'm feeling and how I want things to change, like to feel better. And so I don't think I let resentment build up because once I start to feel it, then I try and address it because I don't want it to build up and I don't want to be angry at my husband all the time. And I really try and see his side of things when something bothers me or, you know, if there's something that is common that's happening over and over again it's like oh okay like I really try and think about it from his perspective and also like how or why am I feeling this way what is it about myself that's making me feel this way as well and how can we make it better just an example of how my mind works so this morning you know it's the first morning after a long weekend I got up with Milo, I brought him downstairs, and then I got him his berries and his ice water, set him up at his table, and then I sat down and I was having my coffee. And my husband came down and he was like cleaning up the pee pads from the dogs, and then he was getting the dog's food and giving Muffin, who has diabetes, his needle. And I started to feel guilty sitting there on the couch while he's busy doing all this stuff. But in my mind, I was like, Renee, you just got up with Milo. You got him his berries. You, you know, got him his water. You did stuff too. And on weekend mornings, maybe your husband does a bunch of stuff initially when he wakes up because he finds that it's a priority to feed the dogs first. And I do not have that priority. I will have my coffee first and then I will feed the dogs. That's his choice to feed the dogs and do all that at that time. And on many weekend mornings, he might do that, you know, for five, 10 minutes in the morning. But then he's on the couch having his coffee while I'm upstairs vacuuming and cleaning Milo's bathroom and putting laundry in. Like it's, we each have our own things and times where we do things and focus on things. So, because my worry is like, oh, is he resenting me right now because I'm not up feeding the dogs and doing what he's doing and I'm just enjoying my coffee but when I think about it like he shouldn't be because sometimes those tables are turned so I really think things through like really think like why am I feeling this way right now oh this is why but here's why I shouldn't think or feel this way So that's just how my mind works. And obviously, I've done so much training in psychology that I think that has all really helped me be this way and be so reflective. Um, But yeah, my number one piece of advice, if it's anything to do with resentment, is listening to episode 67 with Dr. Tracy Dalgleish. It is phenomenal. And go give her a follow on Instagram and just check out her content because she is a relationship therapist and all her content is fabulous. So highly recommend. Oh my God, this episode is long. That is it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope you guys are having a lovely week. I hope the weather is nice. I hope you're able to go outside and do things. We're planning on taking Milo to a farm uh, this upcoming weekend. Very excited about that. Of course, I will share all of the good content that comes with a farm visit on Instagram. So if you don't already, please go follow me at the.mom.room. I am also on TikTok 
And you can follow The Mom Room Podcast at The Mom Room Podcast on Instagram. It is full of fabulous graphics. It's just a beautiful page to look at. Sometimes I just go and look at it, how beautiful it is. If you're like me and your plan is to wear big baggy t-shirts this summer and bicycle shorts, I have a treat for you. I'm going to have merch coming out soon and the t-shirts range in sizes from extra small to 5X. We're also going to have some hats, some sweatshirts, some crew necks, and some dad stuff and some toddler stuff. So look forward to that. That is what I am going to be wearing all summer, 100%. If you haven't already, please go rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening. And yeah, I think people really underestimate what a rate, review, and subscribe does for a podcast. Like that is how we thrive. So if you haven't already, please go do that. And I will check you guys out next week and see you on the social medias. I hope your children sleep tonight. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.